we're going to dig in. We kind of left verse 6 uh, last week, um, so we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but I'm going to start by reading uh, verse 6, if, if you uh, would, as soon as I find something here. Come on, dude. Amen. Let me read. I'll be reading out of NLT. You can follow along in anything you'd like. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. You know, Paul no doubt had sensed that Timothy was neglecting the gift that God gave him. Just turn your Bibles to the left for a few pages over to 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 14. Now remember, these books were written, or these letters were written about five years apart. Paul's situation and circumstances were much more desperate at this moment. Uh, this was a friendlier letter to Timothy, but he recognizes that Timothy is still coming under a little bit of pressure. And I think probably needed some more encouragement or some more shaking, whatever you'd like to call it. But back in chapter 4, starting in verse 14, Do not neglect the spiritual gift you have received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. All right? Remember, back in the letter we're looking at, Paul said, fan into flame. Keep, you know, the fire burning hot. But he goes a little further here, verse 15. Give your complete attention to these matters, to your spiritual gift. Throw yourself into the tasks so everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. So five years before, basically, the Apostle Paul was saying the exact same thing. I'm not sure if Timothy just didn't grow in this area. I'm not sure if he was wavering a little bit more at this moment. But back here, he's just saying, hey, you were given a spiritual gift. And I don't want you at all to neglect it. I want you to jump in. I want you to develop it. I want you to use it. I want you to massage it. I want you to give it your complete attention. I want you to throw yourself into the task. I want you to keep a close eye on this. So with that in the context, turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Timothy was facing a time of spiritual vacillation and weakness. He may have been questioning his calling or his gifts, or the sufficiency of God's provision. He was mired in difficulties of some sort and could not extricate himself. Whatever the particulars, Paul realized that his son in the faith needed to kindle afresh the gift of which God was, had given him. He did not need more from God, but needed to use with commitment and confidence the divine provisions that he had already possessed. We shared at salvation when one came to faith that he or she receives gifts, but they aren't gifts to be able to focus on you. They are not all about you. They are all about equipping and building and growing the church and glorifying our God. God gives us gifts so that others may thrive. You know, divine grace needs fanning because the enemy is alive. I think there is somewhat of a cooperation between God and me. God gives us gifts, but sometimes we get lazy or sometimes we choose not to use them. You know, in the parable of the talents at the end of Matthew in chapter 25, Jesus tells a very famous story, and he told it actually in a few different, different areas. But he basically said this. He says, hey, th this is a story about three men, and I gave them different talents. 
and I want them to be able to invest wisely. And some of them actually did invest very, very well because at the end, I'm going to stand before them and basically say, hey, what did you do with what I gave you? And realistically, some are going to say, hey, I multiplied this. <laughs> and God's going to say, hey, I, I applaud this. You were faithful. Well done. And there was another one, at least in this story, that didn't invest as well, didn't get as much return, but God was just as pleased. It wasn't, again, about how much the return was. It was about that, hey, this person used the gifts that God had given him. And then there was one who, well, the master seemed awfully harsh. You know, he was, well, a little bit afraid of the master. So, so he said, yeah, I'm just going to go and hide this talent. I'll give him back the talent when he wants it. I, I just, you know, I, I, I know he's a hard master. And if I try this and invest this, and you know what will happen if, if I don't get any investment back. I mean, the master's going to be pretty ticked at me. So I might as well just give it back to him. Well, the master, at least in the parable, isn't even somewhat kind. The master is irate. The master is flipped out. He's just saying, how, how could you do this? How could you do this? In fact, I'm going to take it away from you. I'm going to give it to someone who has, well, invested well. And I think that really is a principle all the way through the scriptures is that we exercise God's power to extend the kingdom, to equip the church, to give God glory. That is why God gives us these gifts. But if we don't use them, all right, if we somehow get comfortable, if we somehow get lazy, if we somehow fear God that maybe I don't want to use all that he's given me, I have a feeling that someday when we stand before God, He will not be pleased. You know, there's times I meet with people, and again, as a, as a pastor, almost 40 years now, um, I meet with a lot of folks and try to help them understand what God has given them and how they can use that in the church. And some of us, you know, have a tendency to think, wow, wh why aren't some folks involved? That's a good question. You know, we, we again, and I shared a little bit that people come to our church often from other churches. And, and sometimes they come and need to heal, and, and I get that, and there's times for that. But most of the time, the feeling is whether they're coming for um, a children's ministry, or a this, or a small groups, or a friendlier church, or a that. And I often come back and say, do you understand why the church is here? And do you recognize that, hey, if you're leaving one church and you're coming to this church, it must be because we need the gift that you're going to give. And how you're going to equip. Now again, I, I can't tell people when to jump in. But I am very clear with people when they do come in and they are of faith and say, hey, what gift do you have? Because you're being sent here. I also know this, is when people leave. You know, it's a little bit weird right now, and most of you aren't in chapel land, but there are so many changes and transitions in, in chapel land right now. And to be quite honest, chapel's about 20 years old. But for the first about 18 years, um, all they did is keep their staff, grow, keep their staff, grow, keep their staff, and keep adding staff. No staff ever left, okay, for whatever reason. Well, they're at a place, in a very natural place, where sometimes the gifts that you need to start a church or to begin churches or to start little, you know, facilities, those gifts are needed somewhere else. And so people are leaving. And they're not leaving mad. They're not leaving because, you know, the chapel isn't treating them well. Although I don't know every case, maybe they are leaving for that. But, but I don't know that they're leaving for that. What I sense is that God is calling some people somewhere else to use their gifts. And some of the, and the reason I'm saying this, some people from chapel land are panicking. And not in a real way, but wow, how are we ever going to replace 
Dave Griffin? How are we ever going to replace Dan Huffman? How we, and, you, and you bring up these names. And the truth is this. They're probably not going to be replaced. Okay? But God, it's God's taking someone away. I'm so convinced that God's going to bring here somebody else. You know, literally, the Von Bushes left. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like a million years ago. And actually, it was one of those things, and you heard me say publicly, I, I'm, I'm not sure that some of their gifts are going to be replaced here. And I knew that if they were going to leave, that someone would come in and fill their spot. Because that's what God does. But apparently they're back. <laughs> and we'll talk maybe tomorrow or the next day about how you guys can jump in. All right, I knew I could get that in somehow. All right, forgive me. Forgive me. We're only in review hardly right now, you know? So I, I uh, just want to share with you. You know what? Satan wins when we choose not to use our gift. He really does. And so I guess one of the things that, that we ought to be talking to each other about is, hey, what gift has God given you? Now, one of the things I do want to say is this, is that sometimes there's a little bit of an argument, are all the gifts still here, everything in the scriptures? You know, I guess we can talk about that and we can go through what the biblical understanding of all the gifts that are mentioned. But you know what I think? I think there's probably a whole lot of gifts that aren't mentioned. Okay, and I think again that God does some things very special for every church because he loves that church and wants that church, every local church to grow and to thrive and, and to just um, infiltrate the neighborhood. So my guess is there may be certain ones that you see, but there also may be others that maybe aren't even mentioned in the scripture that God says, you know what, we need a person to take care of this scenario, this situation and I'm going to supernaturally give that person this kind of bent so that they can take care of this area. I am really sure that nobody has the gift of two-year-old, okay? I, I, I really, I've never seen that in the Bible. I have never seen that. And what's the gift of two-year-old? Well, the gift of two-year-old is, oh my word, patience. You love changing diapers. Now, who, who signs up for that? You know, not Nobody. You know, especially somebody else's kids' diapers. It's hard enough for your own kids' diapers, you know. And the bottom line is, I actually think there's people that just thrive in a two-year-old area. Now, you can maybe mask it with some other things, but I think God does wire each one of us in ways to be able to equip and build the church. So, realistically at this time, Paul is given some specific truths for Timothy to embrace. Some admonitions, some strong encouragement, some charges, anything you want. And the first thing he says is this, fan into flame your gift. Now again, as I was thinking about it this week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the translation a little bit. Because I think, although it's a great illustration, the coals are there and... And the fire is dying a little bit. And, you know, you have your, what do you call that thing? The blower or bellows. bellows. Thank you. Thank you. That thing, or you blow with your mouth. And, and you start, you know, that fire starting, you add some more kindling. And, and then you add some bigger wood. And all of a sudden, that fire's going crazy. Well, you know what? I think another way to put it, and you can put this in the side of your Bibles because I do think it's pretty accurate, even though I can't find it anywhere. It's called keep it hot. Instead of fanning the flame, I think what Paul is saying is this. Keep it hot. The gift that you have, use it often. Don't, don't let it die at all, but keep it hot. Use what God has given you. Let's go to verse 7, chapter 1. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Paul says this, consider the resource that you have. First of all, I want you, don't let that, I, I mean, keep looking at that gift that God has given you. Use that gift God desires for you to do that. 
and consider the resource that you have in order to use your gift. It's called the Holy Spirit. You see, a resource which is given to every one of us who have come to faith. We have everything at salvation available for every situation that we have. You see, one of the blessings, there's about, and some people think 32 things happen immediately when you come to faith. Others think it goes all the way up to 49 things that happen to you immediately, magically, unbelievably. You may not see all these things. But one thing that happens is bingo, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Okay? Now, I don't know how many of you get excited, and we certainly are not going to go through this, but I'm going to pass these out. These are kind of like bookmarkers, one in brown and one in blue, depending on which one you really like, okay? But these are some of the things, and, and some of you have seen this and put it in your Bibles, but this is unbelievable of all that God has given to each one of us. Do you want to take a few? There's plenty if you want to. Um, but one of the things, one of the unbelievably great things that happen when you come to faith is that the Holy Spirit begins to indwell you. You remember all the way through the Old Testament, you'll be reading, and sometimes if you don't understand how the Holy Spirit works, you might get confused. Because you will read... Yeah, it's okay, they're pretty slippery. Should have said they're really slippery, but that's all right. Um, one of the things you'll read in the Old Testament is that, hey, the Spirit comes upon David. And what happened really in the Old Testament before, the, before Jesus was crucified, before he ascended, and before he let that Holy Spirit come in Acts chapter 1, all right, what happens, the Holy Spirit will come upon certain people for certain tasks, and then the Holy Spirit will be withdrawn. You'll see that in Samson. That's a great person. Uh, and the Spirit came upon him, and he killed a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. Okay, and you go, whoa, that was a little weird, you know, and then it was, you know, the spirit was pulled away. One of the things about Saul, and I've been reading a lot about Saul and David right now, one of the things about Saul is that Saul was given the spirit, but when he rebelled against God, the spirit was pulled away. And David was given the spirit of God. Now again, it wasn't only one person could have the spirit, but in the Old Testament, the spirit came and helped folks to accomplish certain deeds and tasks until the deed or task was done and then the Spirit was pulled. The wonderful thing about you and about me, about 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ did die and when the Spirit came because Jesus wasn't here anymore in Acts chapter 1, every one of us have the opportunity and the ability to be able to have the Spirit live in us dwell in us, teach us, convict us, and as you're going to see, help us bear fruit or reflect God well. You know, we have not been given the Holy Spirit which produces fear or timidity. You know, one of the things, if, if you want, you can turn over to Acts chapter 8, or I can uh, just share with you what it says. But one of the promises that Jesus told his disciples said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. And I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. How many of you are watching AD? Anybody watching AD? My wife's being forced to watch AD. She is a very bitter woman. I want you to know that. But I am enjoying AD. Okay? And I'm not enjoying it because it's terrific and it's very biblical and everything is accurate. But I am enjoying some things. I don't understand this culture. I'm a seminary grad. And I keep reading about things. And I'm not so sure that everything in AD is right. But I can tell you this. If it's half right, all right, if it's half right, I am, th this is, this was a scary time. And when the, you know, and I don't get all of that the disciples didn't get. Because I'm on the other end. It seems rather simple, you know. I mean, read all through the Gospels. Hey, I'm going to die, I'm going to be sacrificed, and I'm going to be raised on the third day. Duh. You know, I get it. I didn't live there. 
I didn't understand all that. Okay? Somehow, they didn't get it. After Jesus drilled and drilled and drilled. And something happened. All I know is this. It says, hey, wait for the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, you'll receive power, and you'll be my witnesses. Well, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and it's just going to go all over all the world. Now, that didn't make sense to them. Remember again, every one of them at the time that Jesus was on trial fled, right? There wasn't a, a, uh, a warrior among them. The best one was Peter, and he kind of snuck up. And then he did his famous denying three times. So here Jesus did pour himself into these 11 guys now, and none of them are around. Oh, this is exciting. You know. How is it 50 days later that the world was transformed? That alone is one of the greatest miracles that ever happened. How the world could be reached with a bunch of men who absolutely didn't have a clue. I mean, it finally came. The only thing that was different that I can tell is this thing called the Holy Spirit. All right? And Jesus himself was the one who said, hey, you know, it's actually really good that I'm going to go. And every one of the guys says, are you kidding me? <laughs> Why? Well, one reason is, is that this Holy Spirit is going to be available to everyone. And right now, I'm only really available to you 12. And you 12, yeah, you know, I mean, that's a good deal. But really, I would like, you know, in 2015, there's going to be a group of people in Palatine they're going to need the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, this is the best plan. And so, when you have the Holy Spirit, there's certain evidences. And, and I was going to use the word fruit, but sometimes we have this idea, well, there's, there's only certain fruit of the Spirit, so I'm not going to use that. But when the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, when the Holy Spirit is influencing you, when the Holy Spirit is leading you, whatever term you want, there's going to be certain evidence of it. Now, there certainly was evidence of it in the early church. One thing that happened immediately is that they were speaking in foreign tongues. We'll say, well, does that have to happen? No, it doesn't. But it was at Pentecost, and there were all kinds of people, groups all over, and God says, you know what? There's going to be power, and I'm going to use the Holy Spirit. And no kidding, these people are going to be able to speak languages that they don't even know because my good news needs to go out. Well, that didn't fit into their whole scheme of things. That probably scared the liver out of them when they're all of a sudden talking to somebody and, and they're speaking their language. Whoa, I was just a fisherman the other day. I never knew anything but, but this kind of, you know, like simple Koine Greek, you know. That was it. Maybe a little Hebrew. Maybe a little this. You know, what, what was it? You know? All they know is that the Spirit came. And the Spirit wasn't one that made them timid. You know, in, I don't want to go too much into A.D., but every time A.D., every time the Holy Spirit comes, there's like this little music. I'm going like, Lord, that would be cool if like that little music would happen every, every time the Holy Spirit came, you know. But it was really cool. Paul's standing there in front of the Sanhedrin and, I'm sorry, not Paul, Peter, standing there in front of the Sanhedrin and all of a sudden, he gets courage. He's standing up to all these educated men, and he's spitting out things that you normally would not spit out, okay? And then, of course, you know, a few moments later, he's getting his back ripped apart and so on and so forth. But all I'm saying is this, is that there is something that happens when the Holy Spirit is in control of your life. And what Paul is reminding Timothy and says, when the Spirit is active in your life, this is a gift. It's not going to make you shy and timid. It's going to give you boldness. It's going to change you from the inside out. You see, God gives us the Spirit not because we're really good at what we do. 
God gives us the Spirit not because we don't need any other power or authority, because actually we're pretty weak without God. We see that all the way through the Scriptures. God gives us the Spirit so that we might experience, at least in this text, power and love and self-discipline. He says, first of all, power happens under the Spirit's influence. Um, let me remind you, in Ephesians chapter 1, we'll go back to Ephesians a lot in this study because Paul actually um, uses a lot of what he said in Ephesians to Timothy, his good friend. But in Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 18, Paul actually is praying. He says this, I pray that your hearts you Ephesian Christians, you part of the Ephesian church, will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Now listen to this. I also pray, Paul says, to this church, that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Oh, the pastor who's there is not believing this so much. And he needs to be reminded. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. In chapter 3, verse 20, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us. And that happens through the Holy Spirit to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. My guess is this. If you are not experienced power, if you are more of the timid or the meek variety, my guess is you are not under the influence of the Spirit. Now, that isn't to shame you. That is just one of the things that say, you know what, when the Spirit is alive and thriving in me, when I'm listening to the Spirit, when the Spirit is, is part of my everyday experience, there is going to be power that I will experience. All right? Um, and what Paul says is power, his type of power that will accomplish more than we can ever imagine. You know, one of the things that I recognize is that whether it's church or a mission trip or a camp or any other ministry, you know, you look at the ministry you're involved with. If you can explain it by great programming, great funding, great, and you put it all there, my, my guess is, is that... God probably doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. But if you look at what God does, and you are amazed at the transformation and the changes in people's lives, you can probably bank it was God and not you. Can I ask you a question? Sure. As the Holy Spirit is, is, is apparently not in Timothy in as strong a way as Paul would like. Correct. <coughs> Is that the same spirit that Gideon did not have and Moses didn't have and Jeremiah didn't have? You know, I mean, they all talked about their weaknesses to begin and their challenges and how they were not the right person to be chosen. Is right. that that Holy Spirit? There is only one Holy Spirit. Um, well, let me explain it this way. And some of you have, have seen this illustration, and so forgive me. If you haven't, though... I think it will be very important to understand how the Spirit works. Okay. At salvation, when one comes to faith, you immediately go into two circles. Now, this is hypothetically, okay, but this will be able to explain a few things. One's called position, and one's called walk, or relationship. going there. Okay? Now, when you go into these two circles, you are living a normal life. And 
Paul is living this life. Timothy is living this life. It was different for some of the Old Testament prophets, but we're going to talk New Testament right now. Once you are saved, you're always saved. You can never get out of this circle. You are a son. You are a daughter. All right? You cannot get out of God's family. And initially, what happens, okay, is that we will eventually sin, every one of us. Our relationship with God or our walk with God depends on whether we're sin, sinning or not sinning. If we sin, lie, I'll just say lie, the scriptures say that our walk or relationship is thwarted. It means at this moment, sin brings us out of this circle. And until we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9, we are not back into fellowship with God. Now, the reason I mention this, because we're not talking about fellowship, or in a fellowship, or out of fellowship, when we're in this circle... All right, we walk with God and we are spirit-led. You see, the spirit can guide us. The spirit can talk to us. The spirit can um, produce fruit in us when we're in this lower circle. This top circle you don't have to worry about, okay? It's not that, that you are cavalier about it, but the bottom line is this top circle, you just are in it all the time. But what happens to us, and maybe what's happening with Timothy, is that his walk or relationship with God is rather poor. All right? He's spending more time outside the relationship connecting with God than inside. If you were to ask me, what's the definition of a mature believer or a maturing believer? One who spends the majority of time in relationship with God. Okay? It doesn't mean someone who doesn't sin. When someone says live a holy life, which we're going to talk about eventually, you know, in our text, he's saying, hey, we want you to stay in this circle. Because in this circle, all right, all your sins are confessed, the Spirit can control you, you can begin to experience power, you will show the other fruits of the Spirit, which are love and joy and peace and so on, when you're in this circle. So what God is trying to say, at least what I sense he's trying to say, okay, is that, Timothy, you are a little bit timid. You, you are a little, you're, you're not understanding all that's happening. You are not living in this circle. You're living outside the circle. You are defeated, all right, or living a defeated life. Sometimes we like to look at, it's either... Um, we're all victorious or we're all failures. And, and I don't think that's how God looks at life. Okay. So realistically, what I, what I say is this. Is that you've got the Spirit. Every one of you do. But the Spirit can't control you if you're not in this circle having a relationship with the Lord God Almighty. All right. If you're outside this circle... It doesn't mean you're not a son or a daughter. It means literally, though, that you do, you'll never, you're living life in your own power. You're, I, I almost can guarantee as people come in my office or we have a, a conversation, you know, um, drinking some coffee, people say, you know, Rick, I'm just so discouraged, I'm so bummed, I'm so this, I'm so that. Well, my guess is they're living here, not here. Now, it doesn't mean I draw them a little napkin diagram and everything just takes care of everything and, and everything is perfect. But what I say is this. Let me give you some verses. First of all, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, all right, this is all the Apostle Paul saying. He says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. The two words that you'll hear often are, are grieve or quench, okay? Grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. Now, what that means is this. When you grieve someone, you make them sad. 
When you quench something, you literally put out a fire. All right? So in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, Don't stifle, don't quench the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 4.20, And do not bring sorrow, or don't grieve God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. When we sin, we, when we disobey, when we rebel, put anything in there, when we don't listen to God, those are all the same thing. We grieve the Spirit, we quench the Spirit. All right? Can good people make a difference in our world if they're not in this circle? Absolutely. They can. It's their own effort. Can people that know the Lord Jesus and are running from God still do nice things? Yeah, they can, but it's their own effort. Okay? What God is saying is this, okay? There is a time where the Holy Spirit will be absolutely ineffective in your life. And when the Holy Spirit is absolutely ineffective in your life, it's because you're rebelling. That's I'm rebelling, I'm sinning, I'm not listening to God. Okay? There's a lot of pastors, a lot of godly people that, well, they grieve or quench the Holy Spirit if they're not listening to God, if they're not obeying God in every area, if they're not walking with God. Those are all terms. And I think what the Apostle Paul is saying here is saying, hey, when you live underneath the Spirit's influence, when you're in this circle, you're going to experience power. When you live in this circle, you're going to experience love. When you live in this circle, you're going to be self-disciplined. These are all things, realistically, that happens underneath the Spirit's influence. And I think the Apostle Paul was basically saying, Hey, you have a choice to make, Timothy. You can walk around timid, or you can have great power. Now, did that answer your question or not? Yes. Because and no. Okay. I mean, I'm saying, is the, yes, it did. Is When Jeremiah objected to his call, because he's too young and he right. can't speak and all that, and the, the Spirit of God, is that different than the Holy Spirit? Gave him the strength and the vocabulary or whatever else he needed, the resiliency, you know, to confront his own town. Like, you know what I'm saying? Is that he was called by God. Is that right. different than being called by the Holy Spirit? Yeah. I think that, I think there's a piece in there, and this is not really your point, but there's a piece in there about humility versus fear. Uh, humility, being afraid of using your gifts because you don't think you're worthy, oh, versus fleeing fear from, as a, being fearful. Timothy, or Timid Tim, as we've heard before, talked about, had a great deal of Perhaps fear, insecurity. It doesn't mean that insecurity in and of itself is a sin, but there's a difference between Gideon who puts a fleece out, and I don't know how that works, but somehow that worked in the eyes of God that it was a sincere thing, and Moses who God agreed with everything he wanted until he finally said, I just can't do it, and then God got angry. And Timothy, who is really just kind of pulling back, shutting down, away from the gifts that he has and the position he has, I think that there's a there's a piece in there that where the Holy Spirit is, you know, we're trying to dissect the Holy Spirit a little bit too much. And I'm sorry, that's my thought. I mean that my thought is that. It's the same Holy Spirit. God calls them, puts the Spirit on them in the Old Testament. It's given the same thing to Tim, but how they're reacting to it 
One is out of a sincere peace, another one is out of fear. So Rick is good. Does that make sense? I, yeah, no, I mean, I think everything is helpful. You know, and I guess what is, it sounds like it's a, a collaboration, if you will. You know, the, the strength is not there, but we know exactly where to get it. But it still takes something. Absolutely. You know, to make that decision after the decision to follow Christ, then it takes yeah. another extra something to make the decision to walk the spirit filled life. And correct me if I'm wrong, you know, we don't even really have to call on the spirit because it's already there. Right. We just have to ask for strength. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, th I think it's also just walk in light of this truth. We're, we're going to be, one of the things that the Apostle Paul is going to talk about a lot is the truth. Understand these truths, Timothy. One of the things, again, depending on what church background you're from, there are some folks that will say one must call upon the Holy Spirit and you must ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and you must do all these things. Realistically, where I come from is this is that if you have your sin confessed and you are walking with God in fellowship with God, the Holy Spirit is part of your life. You don't have to ask the Holy Spirit to control you, to take over you. He is doing that. He's leading you. He's guiding you. You're connected together. Now, I don't think it's necessarily bad to ask for the Holy Spirit, but it, I don't think you need to do that. Okay. I think we need to be clean. We need to confess our sin. And we need to be able to understand that the truth is is that that's the only way that God will be able to move in your life in a very real way is by a clean vessel or a sanctified vessel. Which actually he's going to talk about in just a few verses here. So we're going to keep going. Let's go to verse 8. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord Timothy. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer for me for the sake of the good news. So the next thing that the Apostle Paul basically says this, I want you to be faithful, I want you to be courageous, I want you not to be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. In fact, he's going to be talking about these patterns all the way through this book. These are things, these are natural rhythms. Um, oftentimes we have a very bad perspective of witnessing, we would call it, telling others of Christ. Um, and we've had bad experiences, and we don't want to cram truth down people's lives. But really what the Apostle Paul is saying here, okay, is saying that, you know, there are times in the culture right there that it's going to be easy not to tell the story of Jesus and grace. These are hard times. In fact, I'm going to die because I personally <laughs> have told the story of God's grace. I, I, I'm going to lose my life, all right, Paul is saying. But I want you to know, don't ever be ashamed of that. There is something about God's transforming story, and I think it's critical for this young pastor to hear. Remember Paul's testimony in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation. It is what gives strength. Do you recognize how important this is? David understood talking about God was critical in Psalm 40, verse 9. I have told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and your saving power, David says. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. I think one of the things that um, the Apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy to do is to be able to tell the story of Jesus. All right. Tell about your relationship. Tell how Christ has made difference in your life. Um, be courageous to talk about Jesus no matter what the circumstances. Now, remember that Peter was one which we already mentioned. You know, we focus on him a lot because he was the main ringleader, but he also denied Jesus. 
We get that. We also see in John 21 that Jesus was very careful and talking to him and extending forgiveness to him and reminding him of his role of feeding the sheep over and over again. So, okay, Peter, I get it. You denied me. I know you love me, but now go feed the sheep. Go feed the sheep. Go care for the sheep. And I think, again, it's just a reminder that in their culture, it was very difficult. Again, I don't think any of us will go to prison or lose our lives, at least in this specific Palatine environment, all right? But there is something about sharing the story about our Lord, God's good story, God's gospel. In fact, he's going to describe the gospel in the next three verses, in the next four verses. Um... One of the things at the end of chapter 8, it almost, I mean, at the end of chapter, uh, or verse 8, um, it almost slips this in. But I think it's going to go a little bit further in a moment here. It says, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer. Now, this probably could be the theme of the letter. In fact, if I were to put it in one sentence, uh, the theme of this whole letter, I would write something like this. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the gospel. That would be the theme. He's going to go back to it over and over and over and over again. That the gospel message is transforming, but the gospel message also ticks people off. All right. And that really is the truth. So what he's saying is prepare yourself for misunderstanding, animosity, and rejection. God will give you the strength for the journey even when it includes suffering. It's not even if it includes suffering. Paul is sharing with Timothy he will suffer. Now we can look, and again, we're not living in Eastern culture, we're not losing our lives, we're not being beheaded, we're not doing some of those, although in our world you know that's happening. All right, it's a true thing. But there is suffering. And I'm not saying that your suffering is easier type of suffering. Sometimes people lose jobs. Sometimes people lose families. Sometimes, again, you can look... Following Jesus is not always easy. It doesn't mean we make people angry and, and, you know, and that we're obnoxious. But each one of us need to recognize that fully obeying God will pay a price. Because we're very other-centered, not me-focused. And anytime you are other-centered, anytime that happens, unless me-focused... There will be things which you'll deny yourself, you will be less comfortable, it will be inconvenient, because realistically following Jesus means focusing on others. Now there are, there are times every one of us will sit there and say, okay, I, I just need a time out, you know, I've been with people for so long, or I, I just, I'm just drained. I get that, I do. But I also know that that is a life that God has called every obedient servant to. A one that is less focused on themselves and more focused on others. I think in 2 Timothy or chapter 3, verse 12, if you want to just turn over there, and we, we will hit this eventually. Um, but Paul just writes this. Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Over and over, all the way through this book and all the way through, you will suffer. You will suffer because life isn't about you, it's about the kingdom. You know, it's interesting, just before Jesus was crucified, he asked permission not to suffer. In Luke chapter 22, he asked his father. He said, I, I am... Going to is there any way we can do this different? Is there any way we can we we you can take this cup away from me? All right. It's also interesting that Paul, uh, in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, there was a thorn in his flesh. No one knows what it was. 
It could have been a speech impediment. It could be a disease of his eyes where, where pus was coming out and he just couldn't function very well. Um, it could mean just speaking. He wasn't that articulate. There could be any one of those things. And Paul begged God. He said, can you take this away? My ministry would be much more effective if I didn't have this thorn. That is the truth. And Jesus' answer is no. I'm going to allow that. Because when you're weak, I am really strong. When you're weak, I shine like crazy. And I want to shine. Okay? People are going to see you and they're going to know that it is not the power of Paul or the power of Rick or the power of Jim or the power of whoever. When you hang out, it's going to be the power of God because he uses weak vessels. Well, next week when we come back, we'll start at verse 9. Um, probably move a little bit faster, hopefully. All right. But uh, let, let me just ask this question. Um, as you think of Paul's letter to Timothy, recognizing that, that you're not a pastor and that you're over a church, um, there's some great truths that will encourage and strengthen you in your everyday walk. You don't have to be a pastor running a church in order to be reminded of what power and authority that each one of you have. Um, the truths that Paul is going to remind you of are truths that happen in today's culture, as we mentioned last week, probably mirrors um, the first century very, very well, at least at this moment. So as we move forward, I would uh, continue to ask you to read with, with us. Um, and uh, I did intend to have a little bit more um, questions and answer time here. Thank you, Jim, for at least in the middle, because then we got some things done. Um, but if you, any of you want to stick around afterwards and talk and, and bring up things, that's great. Or next week when we begin, as you ponder... And as you begin to think through some of these things, maybe there's some more questions that, that we can look at before we jump into verse 9. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the authority that it brings. We are so grateful, God. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs>